I'm Holly Charlebois, and I'm the Bowmanville and online site pastor. You're listening to the Sanctus Church Podcast. Our mission here at Sanctus is to glorify God by enabling people of all ages to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Let's jump into our sermon this week. Hey, good morning, Sanctus Church. So glad you've decided to join us once again or for the very first time. Welcome to week four, as we're still in the amazing little book called Ezra. Now, you might know this, you might not. We're pausing intentionally one last time before we enter into the next coming ministry year because we want to reflect on and we want to continue to work towards rebuilding this local church out of this global moment we've just been in. Now, so far, we've looked at the role of God's promises in rebuilding. We've heard about rebuilding actual worship as critical. We've talked about facing down enemies with God-given courage. We've seen the need for God's spirit, the role of serving, and even the role of giving. But we need to really slow at this moment. And actually, we need to focus in on one of the most important places of rebuilding in any season, one of the most powerful places of perseverance, One of the most central places of rebuilding is always found in this one place. It's this. It's God's Word. It's Scripture. It's hearing God's voice. I'm stunned as human beings how we have an ability in the middle of multiple voices to know certain voices. Uh, My wife and I... um, were in Ireland a few weeks ago. I had the privilege of speaking uh, in Belfast for a week, and then I was speaking down in London, like 37 plus churches. Incredible experience. And my wife was able, for the first time, to join me on one of those trips. And so we were in Northern Ireland, and we were with 200 pastors in Belfast. We had Presbyterians, and we had Baptists, and we had Plymouth Brethren, and we had the Church of Ireland, which are Anglicans, and we had Independents and Charismatics. I mean, the whole dysfunctional family showed up to have a conversation about gifts and renewal and spiritual conflict and all sorts of stuff stuff. And there was 200 pastors all talking, but I could hear my wife's voice. Now, if you know my wife, she has an amazing laugh. It's quite enduring, but that's not what was happening. It was during just a normal coffee break. She wasn't being intentionally loud. She just was talking normally. I could, out of the 200 people, I just knew her voice. I wanted to hear her voice. I I, I wanted to tune in. Now, she might not want to hear my voice sometimes, but in that case, I wanted to hear hers. See, that's the image. When you're surrounded by all the voices, how attuned are you to one of the most, if not the most important voice? See, let's just pause and think about this. There are so many voices. Every time you watch TikTok, every time you open Instagram, every time you read Twitter, every time you turn on the television, every time you read a book, every time you look at advertising intentionally or not from a billboard to a magazine to the screens that you watch, every time you binge something like Netflix or Disney Plus or Prime, there's voices in your families, there's voices of professors, there's voices of friends. It's that podcast you listen to in the car. It's that blog you're reading right now on the go train. There are so many voices. This generation has more information and more voice than any time in history. And whether you know it or not, you are being formed by the voices. The question is, are the voices good? Are they godly? And do you have the ability in the din of all the voices to hear the voice you actually need to hear? At the heart of God's move historically during the time of Ezra is the role of Scripture. I want you to hear the centrality, the rootedness, the description of Ezra himself. 
Ezra 7, 6, Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. Now the king had granted him everything he asked for, and the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And he began his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of God was on Ezra. Now notice verse 10. Ezra had devoted himself to the study and the observance, the obedience of the law of the Lord, to, to teaching its decrees and, and, and laws in Israel. So the role of God's word is critical in this man's life, but the role of God's word in the historic moment of rebuilding is also even more significant, and it's the same in our day. But again, I'm going to invite you to just slow for a second. The question we need to ask is, well, what is this? I mean, what, when we say God's word, what do we mean? What is the role of God's word? Why does it matter? So we have to take a detour away from the Ezra moment. We need to move 500 plus years into the future when a man named Paul is writing to local churches. Now, Paul is writing about rebuilding in a really dark time to his protege, Timothy, who's dealing with false teaching. And basically, Paul, in this context, is saying, Paul, Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, you know what false teachers are doing, what they teach, the damage they've done, but you have to counter this with actually knowing the truth and hearing the right voice. He says in 2 Timothy 3.10, you, however, Timothy, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. Now, watch this. Paul moves, in his time, the conversation back to holiness and truth, but it starts with teaching. And let's ask ourselves the question, in the time of Ezra, in the time of Paul, why is teaching God's word listed first in a growing dark moment? Because God's word, don't miss this, is the rudder for the ship. Without a rudder, the ship will go and crash in the rocks. It is the moral compass for the church. It's the fence around the farm. It's the lamp to our feet. It's the map to get us home. As Christians, we are people that do not worship this book. We worship the author of this book, but we are people of this book. We are formed by this book. We do not read it like this. We read it like this. It is above us. See, this is again and again is repeated from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Revelation. All through the flow of Scripture, Jesus' half-brother Jude said it like this in Jude 20. You, dear friends, build yourself up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, notice, in the holy faith. There is only one message. There's only one faith. There's not many. It, it is the only unique message with divine transformational power. It has been handed down from prophet to apostle. So let me ask you the question. Where has the holy faith been passed down? Where is Jesus' teaching and Jesus' personal claims found? Where are all of God's stories found? His thoughts, his revelations, his commands, his promises. Where is apostolic teaching found? In the Bible, in the scripture, in what we call the written word of God. Jude says, for example, study God's word. It is the center for being built up. It's where you will find and know and be conformed to the central teachings and the doctrinal understandings of the Christian identity. It's where you actually begin to meet God. We find out how much he loves us. This is where he speaks. I mean, this has been the pattern since the beginning of the church. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Still in Paul's day, he writes this in 2 Timothy 3.14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. You have become convinced of the truth. You have to sit with the truth. You have to abide in truth. You have to be, here's a key word, satisfied with the truth. 
The world and false teachers are always looking for what's new, what's next, the progressive better. The truth might feel boring at times. Truth might feel out of touch. We're told all the time as Christians, you're on the wrong side of history. Oh, no, no. Stay with the truth because this is not passing away. Now, in Timothy's moment, Paul says in verse 15, from infancy, Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We walked through this, I think, last year. Timothy's mom and grandmother came to faith in Jesus, and they read the Bible to Timothy his whole life. But watch this. This verse begins to point out something, the nature of what does the Bible do. See, first, when you read Scripture, it shows people how to get saved. It makes you wise for salvation. Reading your Bible doesn't make you a Christian. Lots of professors read Bibles. Lots of people study literature. Reading the Bible doesn't save you. You don't get right relationship with God through just reading the Bible. But if you're a seeker or a skeptic or an atheist or agnostic or you're deeply spiritual or deeply religious, God's Word does two things. It shows us sin and shows us the way out. You'll never know you need a Savior if you think you're okay. Ezra, for example, in his time was reading out of the Ten Commandments. We've heard this again and again. The Ten Commandments, as an example, show us how much sin we're in and how no person on earth is okay with the living God, no matter how they they live, how religious they are, or spiritual or secular they are. What's the role of Scripture? Romans 3.20. No one will be declared righteous, right, in God's sight by observing the law. We can't do it perfectly. Rather, through the law, we become aware, conscious of sin. I mean, in Paul's time, he says, you want to know what the human race is like? 2 Timothy 3.2, people are lovers of themselves, and they're lovers of money, and they're boastful, and they're proud, and abusive, and disobedient to their parents, and they're ungrateful, and unholy, and without love, and unforgiving, and slanderous, and without self-control, and brutal, and not lovers of good, and treacherous, and rash, and conceited, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's why... (laughs) God says, even though we as human beings are made in his amazing image, we're still sinners. The Bible exposes us as we read it, but it doesn't just expose us. At the very same time, it gives us hope and love and a way out. The Bible points us to Jesus. The Bible shows us his life, his teaching, his atoning, his death, his resurrection. The Bible, in the end, is all about Jesus. That's why Jesus said about himself, think how unbelievably arrogant this is, unless it's true. John 5, 39. Speaking to some Jewish religious leaders, he says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them there is eternal life. These very scriptures testify about me, Jesus says, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So the scriptures expose sin, define sin, reveal who God is, his love and holiness, and at the same time show us uh, that there's saving. But the scriptures are not just for those who have not yet crossed the line of faith, seeking, skeptical, or somewhere in between. God's holy word, the scriptures, the Bible, also have a role for us who have already said yes to Jesus. God's word is the foundation. God's word is the pillar. God's word is God's love letter for us. I mean, probably the best description in the Bible about the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness. All Scripture, every text of Scripture. Question one, when Paul was writing this, what was he thinking of? Well, he was thinking of the Old Testament. I mean, what Ezra, in his time, was leading out of, in part. 
But by the time we get to the Paul, Paul, it also includes parts of the New Testament. By this point, Peter is already referring to Paul's letters as Scripture, which again is mind-blowing and inappropriate and wrong for an Orthodox Jew to say unless it's true. Second Peter 3.16, Peter says this, Paul writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them on these matters. His letters contain some things that are really hard to understand. If you have trouble understanding Paul, Peter's like, I'm with you. Ugh. He says his letters contain things that are hard to understand, which, of course, ignorant and unstable people distort. Watch this. As do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Peter says Paul's writings are inspired. Matthew and Luke, by this point, are quoting Mark. Paul is quoting Luke. All scripture, all scripture is divine. It's God's word for us. I, I love, I've used this many times here before at Sanctus. I love J.I. Packer's description of the Bible. You want to know what the Bible is? Here it is. Christianity, he says, is the true worship and the true service of, a true, of the true God, humanity's creator and redeemer. It is a religion that rests on revelation. No one would know the truth about God or be able to relate to God in a personal way had not God first acted to make himself known. But God has acted. And the 66 books that form the Bible, 39 before Jesus, 27 after, are the record, the interpretation, the expression, and the embodiment of God's self-disclosure. God, who God is, and godliness had to live after him, are the Bible's uniting themes. That's why in 2 Timothy 3.16 it says, all scripture is God-breathed. It comes from God. This is about origin. Who's the source? Who's the cause? Who's the beginning? Who actually wrote this book? God did. God is the author of this book. This is more important than Shakespeare. This is more inspired than any religious text on earth. Now don't confuse the process. God didn't just walk into people and possess them and their eyes rolled back and they were involved in automatic writing and woke up and said, oh, I, I wrote Nehemiah. No, no, no. He used personality and education levels and history. He breathed. He inspired. Humans collaborated with God, but God did have the last say. See, the Holy Spirit not only leads us, he teaches us. He's the author of scriptures. There might be 66 books and numerous writers and personalities and cultural overtones, but behind them all, there's one author. The Holy Spirit leads us and speaks to us through the scripture. He's called the spirit of truth. By the way, if you reject the scriptures, you end up rejecting the divine author, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And let me say this probably for the fifth time. If you start hearing people say online or on blogs or on Twitter or in your friendships, well, you know, Jesus didn't talk about that, so I'm going to decide what's okay, or Paul got that wrong, or we know better because we live in 2023, run. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is who God the Father used to breathe out this book. So if James or Jude or Moses or Ezra or Nehemiah or Solomon or John or Luke or Paul spoke or wrote about anything, then Jesus has talked about it because Jesus is God and this is his book. There's unity in the diversity. The image I always use is the Holy Spirit is hovering over the scriptures, pointing, illuminating. You cannot divorce the written word of God from the living word spirit. And you will never understand this book without its author sitting beside you, helping you. All scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching. 
I mean, this is doctrine, right? This is the nature of salvation, the person and work of God. Uh, who, who is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? What are the commands of God? What are the commands of Jesus? What does the Christian life look like? What is the message of the kingdom? What is, what is the church? What's the future? It's about who God is, how to meet him, how to be changed by him. But it's not just that. It's about rebuking and correcting us. Oh, please lean in. This is about worldview. This is the glasses we wear to see the world. The Bible has to be the lens. The Bible has to be our glasses that we see our families through and our lives through and money through and sex through and sexuality through and relationships through and power through and politics through and race through and economics through and gender through. The more you sit with God's word, the more you sit under God's word, the more you listen to the written word of God, the more you hear the word of God, the more you submit willingly to God's word, the more each one of us will be taught, corrected, and rebuked. Why do we need this? Because our thinking is tainted by sin. My family and your family were tainted by sin. Every single culture on earth is tainted by sin in different directions. So many of you in this very interesting cultural moment, as you're throwing off what you view as an oppressive culture in one way or another, and you go on the great journey to rediscover a culture you've come from, which is amazing, do not buy into the lie when you arrive at that ancient place that you will find something more pure or more freedom-giving. You won't ultimately, because every single culture is tainted by sin just in different directions. Like I've preached so many times, God is saying that the final authority is not our experience, it's not cultural insight, it's not rediscovery, it's not pain, it's not our story, it's not personal rights, it's not agenda. We all need an external authority because we're all corrupt down here. Don't live your truth. Don't follow your heart. Don't believe in yourself. Don't think you're enough in the ultimate sense. See, here's, we need truth. We need a new heart. Don't follow your own heart or my heart, it's dark. Uh, we need to deny ourselves, not believe in ourselves in the full extent. We need to know God is enough, that, that we are enough. Every person, every culture must stand under God's word and it affirms good things and says other things need to be torn down. It has the authority. The Bible teaches us and it rebukes us and corrects us and it actually, interestingly, provides a level field for all to be critiqued. But more than that, it shows us righteousness, what a God-centered life looks like. Those who conform and love the scriptures. You want to know about the power of the scriptures? Listen to another description. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates dividing soul, spirit, joint marrow. It judges thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I've shared this before. We've had so many people from so many backgrounds become Christians in our church. And there was one time that a couple from a Muslim background came to faith. And her family was so angry that she had come to faith. And, and they came from another country we won't mention. And this woman, as she was baptized here, somewhat in secret in our community, I remember her laughing in the, in the baptism tank when she said, my whole family back home is reading the Bible to disprove it. And she laughed and she said, but what they don't know is it is a living book. And now, of course, they've all become Christians themselves. This is why the spiritual practice of study matters so much to you, to your family, to this church. Jesus said it best, know the truth and the truth will set you free. I love when Richard Foster sort of did this mic drop years ago when he said, good feelings will not free us. 
Ecstatic experiences will not free us. Getting high on Jesus will not free us. Without the knowledge of truth, we will not be free. We will not be free. Even more poignant and more sort of bitey is when Calvin Miller once said, mystics without study are spiritual romantics who want relationship without the effort. Mystics, those who have lots of experiences with God without study, are only spiritual romantics who want relationship without the effort. I mean, Paul says it in Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. See, that is what Scripture is. Okay, now, what effect can the Scriptures have on the ground in a rebuilding moment? So we have to go from Paul 500 years back to the time, moment of Ezra. And we get a front row seat to see the power of God's word on the ground in this community's life. Now, when Ezra starts teaching the scriptures back home, it's happening during the time of Nehemiah. And we can see literally what God does through the act of preaching and teaching. It reads like this in Nehemiah 8.1. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord uh, had commanded for Israel. So that'd probably be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy at this point. He read it out loud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men and women and others that could understand. Now here's, here, here it is. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Okay, this is how things change on the ground in your life. This is how things change on the ground in a church. Yes, the Bible is the ultimate authority for faith, life, and practice. Yes, when I or others preach, we need to do our work. We need to understand what would this mean originally to the original audience. We need to preach it to ourselves first. We need to pray. We need to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit beyond personality. But there is a role. Actually, there is a posture. There is an expectation that is needed for those who are hearing God's word, no matter who's preaching. It is one of hunger and attentiveness. First of all, it says they listened from basically half the day to the whole day. In other words, they were hungry. Okay, let's talk about hungry. Uh, lots of us, all of us, listening to this have experienced hunger. Sometimes we go, oh, I don't think I've eaten for a while. I feel a little hungry. Then other times we use this terrible phrase, but we go, oh my goodness, I'm starving. I've eaten all day. I could eat a, and you fill in with whatever you say. So they're sort of like, oh, I need to eat something, and oh my goodness, I need to eat something. Somewhere between, mm, I feel a little peckish, and oh my goodness, I could eat a whole cow. Or if you're a vegan, a whole cabbage, whatever you are, okay? Somewhere between, I'm peckish, and I want to devour something fully. That is the attitude we need when we come to hear God's word preached. We need to be hungry. But not just hungry, let me read the verse again. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. You ever had the experience of someone listening to you versus someone listening to you? You're sitting with someone, you're hanging out, and they are on their phone, and they're texting, and they're on Instagram, and they're sort of talking to you and sort of not, and it's back and forth. They're listening-ish. Then have you ever sat with someone, and you're in a conversation, and they, like, stop? And all the technology's down, and they're looking you in the eyes, and, like, they're hanging on every single word. There's a huge difference be, uh, between sort of being there and being present. They were like hanging on every word. See, no matter how much prep, I'll use me as an example, I do. 
No matter how much I pray or fast, no matter if I make amazing connections out of the scripture to everyday life or the stories or illustrations I use bring the scriptures more to life, if, if the community doesn't come hungry and if you don't come attentive, literally as I'm preaching, some of you are like literally not listening. Right now, it's literally happening. If you don't come to listen if you haven't reminded yourself that when the scriptures are opened, it's a guaranteed place of encounter because this book is living and active, then nothing really will take place. There's also a role for those who give the word of God. It's like a dance that both need to take place for the beauty to emerge and the rebuilding to happen. It says in Ezra 8, Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform uh, built for the occasion. And if you read down, it says, verse eight, chapter 8, verse 8, they, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear, giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Notice the progression, clear to meaning to understanding. This is what it is. This is what it meant. This is how it applies to your life. It has to be applicable and understood. Again, I love J.I. Packer when he said, listen, God's law expresses God's character. It reflects his own behavior. It alerts us to what he loves in us and actually what God hates in us. It's a recipe for holiness, consecrated conformity to God. What is his true image? That is humanity. In other words, we read this so we're clear about life and God and everything else, but not just understanding it. We want to be lovingly formed by it. To love God and love neighbor must be only understood through the lens of Scripture. But there's more. Interestingly, when you keep reading Nehemiah 8, there are two gifts that always happen in a rebuilding moment when people are truly hungry for that voice among all the voices. Weeping and joy. Uh, Nehemiah 8 says, When Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them, Do not weep and mourn, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. See, when God's word is preached with holy love, when you're alone listening to God's word on version in the car, on the subway, on a plane, when you're hungry and attentive, many times, talk to any Christian who's walked with God for a while, when God's voice gets clear and God comes close, you begin to feel broken over your own sin. And actually, you get broken over the state of the world. And when you begin to understand how unbelievable, unbel how, how large and unbelievable God's love and mercy is, that you even have breath in the morning, sometimes there's weeping. Sometimes you're like, from head to heart, oh my goodness. Remember, the one who's truly speaking to you through the scriptures is God. And you love him if you're a Christian, right? When you hear the most important person, the most, person, the most important person you love, more than your kids, right? More than your friends, more than your spouse, more than your own voice. When you hear his voice, the undoing actually happens. Could it be that many of us have never actually wept or just felt broken because we're actually not deeply in love with the one that we're listening to? Well, weeping is one aspect, but then there's also joy, because if you read down in verse 10, it says, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drink. Send some of those, uh, send, uh, send 
some to those who have prepared nothing. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, here's the amazing thing. When you also read scripture and when there's authentic preaching and you are doing your walk with Jesus personally and then with others, you experience joy. The more you hear God's word, the more you will hear you're a child of God. The more you hear God's word, the more you will hear about your forgiveness. The more you read God's word, the more hope you'll experience, the more love you'll hear. You're a beloved child. I'm with you. I'll never leave you and forsake take you. I'm preparing a place for you. The physical resurrection of Jesus is true, so it's going to be ready for you. My mercy is anew every single morning. I am going to come back and make all things right. Among the millions of voices that are forming you, making you a disciple, a fully devoted disciple of something, how close are you to the true voice? What do we do with this? Well, a few things. Uh, let me ask you this question. When is the last time you just thank God that you own a Bible or you have access to it online? I don't know you if you know this, but I'm going to share this today. There is 1.51 billion people. They speak 6,661 6, languages that don't even have a Bible in their first language yet. Th- think about that. Out of every eight people on earth, 1.5 of them don't even have a full Bible in their own language. I think I've done this before. This is my first Bible. <laughs> it was a comic book Bible. It got me through all sorts of boring preaching. Now what I do. I love this Bible. You can see it's well used. This changed my life. This next one is my grandfather's Bible. This is from 1953. I also have his Bible that he used during Billy Graham Crusades, those gatherings where lots were talked uh, about Jesus. This, interestingly, is my great-grandmother's Bible. And uh, this woman was actually one of the great leaders of the prayer movement that formed a church many of us know called People's Church in Toronto. Uh, This Bible is from Kent, England, (laughs) And as I can work at it, I think this is probably my great, great, maybe great aunt's Bible or great, great, great grandmother's Bible or the family Bible. I mean, I, I, like Timothy, come from generations of people who had access to God's word. What a gift, what a privilege, what an honor, what a responsibility. When is the last time you just said to God, thank you that I even have one, digitally or physically? If you haven't, This week, you should say thanks. You really should. You want to continue to see this church rebuild? You want to actually see spiritual vitality and life keep happening no matter what happens in the world? Love the scriptures. Hear them. Read them. Sit under them, not above them. Memorize them. Think on them. Meditate on them. Understand them, live by them, say them, share them, sing them, post them. Again, we only worship the author of this book, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But we are called to cherish this book. I love in Eastern Orthodox churches, they at at points in the service, they they kiss the Bible. Not because they're 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 talking about how valuable this is. See, let me put it like this. Do you actually believe that this is the most important thing you own? This is the most, 
This is the most valuable thing in your life. Do you believe it? If you don't, it will show in how you access it. Don't worship this book. Oh, but treasure this book. This is worth more than anything you can buy or own. Why? Because this is living and active. And this is God's voice among the many voices to give you eternal life and also to form you in the ways of God. When's the last time you thank God for the scriptures? How much do you love the scriptures? You know, he's speaking more than sometimes we think. I think I shared this a little while ago. I want to share it again. I was on a podcast with a good friend of mine named Joanna for the Canadian Bible Society, and she was asking me different questions about Scripture. How do I prep sermons, and how do I read it devotionally, versus how do I study it professionally, and what do I do when I change my mind theologically, and it was good and fun. And and in the middle of the podcast, I shared this story, and a man came up to me who had been in this church for years. He's no longer here, by the way. And and he said, you know, John, you're an amazing preacher, but I've learned nothing from you ever. (laughs) Now, at first I was insulted. uh, And then I thought about it and I was like, you know what? This is really powerful. I'm really glad this happened. A, for my humility, but more than that, it, it actually revealed something. See, if you approach reading God's word personally or coming to a sermon and you're like, I have to learn something new where it didn't work, you've missed it. I mean, of course, it's amazing when you learn new things about God and his word and his work in the world. But imagine if you knew everything, history, context, linguistics, theological bias, original meaning of the text, how to apply it, all of it, you got it. Romans 8, Ezra 2, Genesis 3, you you got it. Did you hear what the Spirit was saying to you uniquely for your life in this moment? See, we have to learn new things about Scripture. Yes. But more than that, more than that, more than that, sometimes we're missing what He's trying to say in the moment for us, even if we know all the things. Are you listening? You want to see a church continue to rebuild? then let me say this to you with authority. Remain. Stay. Don't move. Hold fast. Be steadfast. I know many of us in our real moments wonder if being faithful is worth it, if really obeying God's word is worth it. One of my favorite passages, I've shared it so many times, Psalm 73. For me, my feet almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. I I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I mean, they say, how would God know? And does the Most High know anything? And this is what the wicked are like. I mean, they're free of care, and they go on amassing wealth. And surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. Surely in vain I've read God's word and obeyed it. What difference does it make? Verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Life would be so much easier, more fun if I didn't have to obey this old book. Oh, verse 17, until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood the wicked in their final destiny. Surely you place them on a slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. So are you about to walk away? Is your doubt, which is welcome, evolving into skepticism? 
Are you beginning to walk? Have, are you standing? Are you about to sit down and sin? Have you out loud or quietly said, well, God's just wrong on that issue, or I don't trust the scripture anymore, or, or, or actually, you know, we know better because it's 2023. No, no, God is saying to you, my beloved child, that leads to a place you don't want to truly go. Love me as you once did. Don't look to yourself or your culture for wisdom. It is broken, marred, and tainted, and it will not last. Look upon Jesus. How did Jesus interact with the scriptures? He held them to the highest esteem. God says, look up and know love. Love, no, no holiness, no freedom. Live under my scriptures. Jesus' return is going to make all things right. Remain and be faithful. His reward is better. Is better. Let me just practically say this. I know sometimes reading is difficult. I mean, I'm dyslexic, by the way. I have learning disabilities, and some of my, my family does, and it's hard. So I just want to say there are lots of ways to interact with the Scriptures. I've said this before. One of my favorite things very practically to do is I, I have the Bible app U version. You should all have it. It's free. It's accessible. It's an incredible gift to the world. And how I do my devotions is every day when I'm driving into work, I listen to the Bible in one year, the classic edition with Nikki Gumbel. And through the whole year, I will literally list, just listen to the Bible. And then he has a little talk for each part of the scriptures, helps me understand some stuff. And then he has prayers he leads me through. It's just so simple. Do, listen. Every time I'm driving the car, I just say, Lord, I know you're going to speak. It might not be Gabriel and fire and oh my goodness every time, but I'm being formed in God's word. You have access to paper Bibles and digital Bibles in a way that no other generation has. There is no excuse. If you have trouble reading, you can listen. If you have trouble listening, you can watch. I mean, oh my goodness, like here's another thing. Go to the Bible Project. I mean, the Bible Project's this incredible group of videos that describe the history and what Scripture means. Make the Scriptures priority, listening. Download the app. Start reading Scripture. Watch the Bible Project videos. But can I also say, would you make sitting under godly preaching priority? Priority. What you're doing right now should be priority. There should be a moment, at least one moment in your week, where all the voices that are forming you to become fully devoted in so many directions are drowned out and God's word is given to you like food, like life, like water. Let me just pray this. God, in this rebuilding moment, make us people of your word. The truth is, many of us, God, struggle with reading or reading your word, and it's hard. So give us even the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, give us desires that are beyond ourself. Give us a love for Scripture, a willingness, and actually help us to be attentive and hungry, like wanting to hear our lover's voice in the room, where we want to hear that voice, we want to get that opinion, we want to be formed by that loving statement, that truthful statement. Just help us to hone into the Scriptures. Help us not to abuse them or misuse them, but love the author of them and be formed by them. This we pray for our church in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at sanctuschurch.com. You'll find more ways to support our ministry and God's vision for this church. Last but not least, if you like what you heard, be sure to hit the follow button and be notified when another episode releases. 
Thanks so much for tuning in. God bless you.